This is Michelle Hoffman from the Science Desk. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Splash. Splash. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will... Good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. They're sometimes called the odd couple. If only because the word aberrant doesn't fit in the logo. Here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. High forests, no wetlands will. Good planets are in the main. Right. I didn't see the word odd couple in the logo either, to no. tell you the truth. So nope. I'm not sure what the heck she's talking about. I don't know, and she forgot to say Sunday. And she forgot to say Sunday. Well, <laughs> you know, we, we might actually fix that someday, that uh, bit of announced copy for uh, for the show. Uh, because it is Sunday, and it's a beautiful Sunday. And uh, here we are, standing in the studio, all by our lonesomes, because all of our guests will be on the phone today. But that's okay. And we're missing, Although, we're missing someone. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say who. She knows. She, <laughs> if she's listening on the way in. Uh, and uh, we're missing Krispy Kremes, because uh, Ben uh, let us down again. Ben, what's the deal? Uh, ran out of um, donut resources. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> out of dough, right? As yeah, yeah. For a... the dough nuts. Yeah, so if anyone's within reach of the studio and wants to bring some donuts See, there, over. There's the English language at work, by the way, that used to be spelled D-O-U-G-H, mm-hmm. nuts, N-U-T-S. Uh, who does that anymore? Do you, do you ever see? No, do- that, that DD company got rid of that. The DD company? Oh, did they? Were they the ones? Well, that's how they, that, that's how. Uh, cor- corporate Donuts spells it D-O-N-U-T-S. Corporate Donuts? Do you, well, Duncan. everybody does. Right, but they're the ones who kind of started it. Are you sure? I'm not positive, but that's I think it might have been long before them. Hmm. I don't know. We could, uh, uh, any of our uh, friends who are into etymology might uh, give us a, and I know one in particular who might be listening who who probably writes something, but then we probably won't see it. Uh, at any rate, uh, it's been a good week. It's been a good week for me. Let's see. Wednesday, uh, game-winning walk-off hit on my softball team. On Facebook Live, too. On Facebook Live, yeah, which was really weird. Yeah, we <laughs> we were Facebooking Live. And but they I, caught your hit. They caught my hit. It may, might be the only game, walk-off game hit, uh, the game-winning hit that I ever have in my whole life. And uh, then the next day, I got to uh, be the auctioneer at the Angelic Organics Learning Center Peak Harvest Farm Dinner, 10th Annual Peak Harvest Farm Dinner, and we raised a bunch of money. 
uh, for that. And then uh, later that evening, um, my health care didn't get taken away. So <laughs> it's been a pretty good week. You know? And... Of course, I'm a freeloader. You realize that. Uh-oh. I'm just a freeloader in America. As, you know, I got on Facebook and posted a couple of things and had the trolls come after me. You free freeloader, pay for your own health insurance. I actually do to some degree. Oh, yeah? Pay your $50,000 to see a doctor once a year. <laughs> okay, sure. Whatever you guys want. So... Uh, so uh, that's that's been the week, and the tomatoes are growing. We've harvested a bunch. We've got photos on, on that. And, and on today's show, we've got Dan Costa, the snipologist, who's here on the phone anyway. Uh, he's, he's not going to be here because he's getting ready for the big bonsai show next week at the Morton Arboretum with the Prairie State Bonsai Society. So uh, Dan is at home, and when he gets off the phone with us, he goes back to snipping. And uh, so, but he he will talk about that, but but also gardening questions. So, I'll give the phone number out if you want to participate. Eight four seven four seven five fifteen ninety. Dan sees it all because he's on the front lines at Vern Goer's greenhouse in Hinsdale. So all the folks come in and they say, "Hey, I got this problem. Hey, yeah, what's this funny stuff on my plant leaves? <laughs> yeah, really, really, what's going on here?" And he has a really great question he got asked the other day that we'll bring up, which is very funny. Uh, and I'm not going to give the answer to. I'm not even bringing question up right now because it's it's. No, nope, you'll have to keep uh, listening. Yeah, you have to keep listening. And then uh, in the ten o'clock hour, uh, we have a discussion because it's been raining so much and we've had flooding uh, and mosquitoes. Some of you uh, are very, yes, Peggy <laughs> is very familiar with mosquitoes. Me, not so much. In the city, you know, depends where you are. Not in my backyard. Uh, but oh, you sent them all to my house. I did. Okay. <laughs> There's none in the city. They're scared. <laughs> they won't come into the city. Uh, and uh, uh, we're going to have uh, Ruth Kersey from the Midwest Pest Action Midwest Pesticide Action Center uh, to talk about various ways that you control mosquitoes. And with her will be Laura McGowan, who's from Clark. They're the mosquito people, and they basically provide the products that control mosquitoes. And we're going to talk about spraying, we're going to talk about dunks, we're going to talk about what's effective, what is not effective, and do you have any control over whether your neighborhood is going to be sprayed? What can you do? What can you say? Will it do any good? Those are all very valuable questions. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Stick around for all of that. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll have a head start on the season. Peggy and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. 
Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings Magazine. And for seven years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier, happier lives. Each month, our readers enjoy new information about integrative health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids and pets, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs, or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Hi, this is Ron Calgill from Mighty House. Are you looking for a cool ride that you can plug in so you can flip off the guy at the gas station? The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model X, and only 2,500 tickets will be sold. Go to Illinois Solar and click on the link to the Tesla raffle. You can buy one ticket for $100 or four tickets for $300. All the raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn on December 7, 2017. That's IllinoisSolar.org. And now, the man, the legend, Dan Costa. Dan, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Mike. Did you like? Do you like your intro music? Oh yes, very good. Good. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, of course from The Great Escape, uh, which is one of those movies that if I happen to be flipping on the dial and it, and it comes up, I'm done. I'm stuck. I'm going to watch it all the way to the end. Just can you know? I had one of those the other day. Uh, I was telling Peggy, I was at home in the middle of the afternoon, and I should have been doing work. And unfortunately, I happened to turn on the TV, and there was the man who shot Liberty Valance. And wow. I, uh, you were done for the afternoon. I was done for the afternoon. I just sat there and watched it all the way through. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a that's a great movie. Uh, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Uh, Getting ready for the show. Uh, yeah. The... Fixed up and ready to go. Yeah, which is why you can't be here in the studio. You gave us your lame excuse about how you got to prune all those bone, bonsai. Slaving um, for hours over a hot bonsai tree, you know? Uh, yeah, I know. Braiding and, <laughs> and, the little roots. Uh, well, yeah, doing all that, all that stuff, including my bonsai, which you still have, yeah. that, <laughs> that you've had for a year. Uh, I sent you a picture of this morning, by the way. Did you? Where? Yeah. I, I didn't I see it. it. Let me see the... Uh, I oh. sent it to your MikeNovak.net. Oh, I didn't realize there was a photo attached. Okay, well, now i got to go back and see. So see. What, what type of bonsai is that, Dan? It's called a Shimpaku juniper. Uh, variety of the Chinese juniper. Mm-hmm. Dan, I do not, I do not see. I, I think you might have forgotten to attach it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, th- I think you did because I got your email, but I didn't get the well, uh, it, the photo. If it comes in, we can yeah. post it. Yeah, later. we we can certainly post it. So yeah, after we get off the phone, I'll yeah. I'll, I'll resend it. So what happened is, uh, uh, explain what uh, kind of plant that was again. It's called a Shimpaku juniper, mm-hmm. which is the variety of Chinese juniper that's native to Japan. All right, so uh, go ahead. Very, sorry. very uh, easy to grow for a uh, bonsai. <laughs> they like yeah. sunny spots outside. They don't like to be coddled or treated too gently. 
So I'm gonna find I'm gonna find a spot in my yard. I'm gonna plop it there, and I'm gonna leave it there all winter, right? Yep. Uh, is yep. is this one that I that I need to? You, you say it doesn't need to be coddled, so I don't need to find a sheltered location for it during the winter. Uh, well, it should be on the ground and out of the sun. Oh, okay, yeah. So it so it remains uh, dormant. Yeah. So that the uh, soil doesn't freeze, thaw, freeze, thaw. You know. Right. I, I know just the place to put it. It's on the north side. You'll appreciate this. The north side of the air conditioning unit, just outside the house. because <laughs> On a little milk crate? No, not on a milk crate. <laughs> on, milk on the ground. <laughs> ne- on the ground next to it because that that sucker will stay frozen all all winter long. There, no sun gets there. Nothing gets there. Uh, That's perfect. Yeah, and during the year it should be up off of the ground, so you don't get worms and other things crawling Worm. up through the drainage holes. What's wrong with worms? Uh, they don't do friendly things inside of pots. Really, I always thought that. Uh, okay, this is a really good, uh, a good place to start. Since you're the garden expert, you you work at Vern Goer's Greenhouse in Hinsdale. You're on the front lines there, as I say, and uh, horticulturist, and uh, answer questions and do all kinds of horticultural things at, at Vern Goers. Maybe maybe you could tell me later. But I always assume when I, I put pots in the ground and I might move plants around and, and sometimes you, you pull them out and there's worms in there. I always thought, well, that's good. There's worms in there. Why is that bad? Well, worms in your garden are good because they eat decaying organic matter and uh, help to promote fertilization, really, bring you up bottom soil and everything. Sure, yes. But in, inside of a pot, they're restricted, and they can eat, you know, like peat moss or whatever is in there. Mm-hmm. But they can also run out of supply, and then they get hungry, and then they start nibbling on live roots. And so they can end up damaging the roots of your tree, of your plants that are in the pot. Aren't they smart enough that if they run out of supply, they'll just slither out of the pot? Uh, if they can find the drainage hole again. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. or a way to get over the top. Yeah, okay. But, uh, generally, they're pretty trapped, so uh, they eat whatever they can find available. See now, yeah. now this is this. I never ever thought about that before. Yeah, I had always assumed because I, you know, you don't want to know how many pots are sitting on the ground in my backyard. <laughs> uh, and if, <laughs> and of course, you do the same thing. I'm sure. Uh, oh yeah, and sure. then you 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 pull out a plant and you. See all the worms in there, and there's usually not a lot, but there can be some worms in there, and it never occurred to me that that might not be a good thing. Yeah, well, but if I pull something out of a pot and there's a worm there, I evict them and send them off into the garden and say, do your good <laughs> over there. <laughs> sure, why not? Send them off. Put them in the wherever, in, in the garden, yeah. and, and get them to work. Well, see, yeah. you learn something new every day. And <laughs> and that is my horticultural tidbit, and I think that Peggy's already tweeting it and posting. Yep. It's yep. Uh, so. Uh, say, uh, you've already earned your keep there, Dan. Oh, okay. He gets a ding for that. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, we we got to we got to keep you. Yeah, here his work's done. Because <laughs> you're going to talk about the Prairie State Bonsai Society, but but I'm going to make people wait for that. I'm going to make you wait for it, and that's your payment. For uh, okay, for 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 uh, helping me out. Uh, see now, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, but it's it's your payment for for getting the 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 promotional time. There we go. That's <laughs> yeah, how that, that works. 
Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, at Vern Goers, um, you do a lot of uh, retail work. Uh, what, are, what are some of the duties that you have over there? Uh, right now, watering. I spend most of the day watering uh, because, you know, it gets hot. The plants dry out quick. I also answer a lot of questions from people and get head perennials and do all kinds of exciting things like that. <laughs> Poinsettias came in on Tuesday, so we're getting that going. I'm sorry, what on Tuesday? The poinsettias. No. Or, or as yep. we as we call them on this show, ponzetters. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ponzetters. They're, uh, they're, uh, they're uh, arriving Tuesday? They arrived this past Tuesday. Wow. So what? what do you get, plugs or what? Really cuttings. They're about uh, two and a half, three inches tall. Wow! And they're they're getting potted in their pots, and, and they'll sit there until Christmas time. And how many do you get? Uh, I don't know what the order is this year, but it's uh, probably about uh, eight to ten thousand. Wow, that's cuttings. a that's and, a lot of plants. And you unload most of those. Yeah, they all come in the uh, little plastic. Well, they call plug trays. They're similar. No, no, to no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What, what I meant, what I meant to say is, you sell that many poinsettias. Oh yeah, we do thirty some churches every year. Ah, okay. Okay. Wow. So, so uh, churches buy a lot. So, <laughs> so my garden question, along with that. So, for those of us who have poinsettias that are still hanging in there from last year, is this the time to take cuttings and start new plants? Yeah. Yeah, take cuttings uh, about three inches long, get them rooted, and plant them in pots of their own. And then you're going to have to do shading on them for uh, uh, 16 hours out of every 24-hour period, starting around in uh, Labor Day. So is this a they show color? Oh, okay. Well, the uh, you mean uh, the the Brax color? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but the problem with that, as you know, Dan, is most people are not set up to have complete darkness uh, yeah. around the plant. And the only way and that if you, we... If you miss one night, you go back to square one. So. Right, right. So <laughs> yeah. so here's the deal. If you think you're going to grow a point... We did this several years ago. I want to say like, oh, six or seven years ago. Um, yeah, my, I remember that. Yeah, remember we had the great... Uh, <laughs> The great Ponzetter Brackdoff. We call it yep. a bra- a Brackdoff because you'll get really Brackdoff when your Ponzetter <laughs> doesn't look red. All right, and it's because it's the Bracks. They're not the blooms that you see on a Poinsettia that uh, uh, are the color. It's the Bract, which is a a, a kind of leaf. And right. the only way you can get it to turn color is leave it in its natural setting and have the light. Uh, as we, you know, the earth turns and the seasons mm-hmm. come around and the days get shorter, that's what triggers the the poinsettia to turn color. If right. you have any extraneous light at all, as as Dan just pointed out, you get one, one night of that where you get it wrong, you're mm-hmm. starting from square one. So the only way you make this work is you put it in a room say, uh, a room in the house you never go into and you never turn the lights on. And you go in there during the day to water the plant so that it's got the natural light. At night, you just let the regular light, and make sure there's no outside light coming right. in, no street lights. The, uh, the, the, the regular light from uh, the sun, that's fine. Mm-hmm. 
No streetlights anywhere. Well, who's got that set up? Nobody, basically. Uh, or or you find the closet yeah. and you have your your artificial light set. To, you time it so that it creates the same conditions. Uh, this is pretty difficult. So how do you guys do that at Vern Goers? Uh, luckily, there are no streetlights around us, uh, close to the greenhouses, where it would affect them. So uh, we're pretty fortunate that way. We don't have to worry too much. I used to work in a wholesaler that was right along a street, and we had to raise black plastic curtains every night and lower them down in the morning. Uh, you know, so anything you could do to block the artificial light. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. It gets more difficult sometimes in, in certain situations, but at Vernors, we're pretty lucky. We don't have that uh, artificial light sources right close by. I can't believe it's July and we're talking about poinsettias. Yeah, just, All right, this is just uh, this is yeah. not this is not right, Dan. Let's talk summer gardening. <laughs> yeah, we will in a second. But, but I, I, I do want to poinsettias. Uh, exactly. I want to finish this so very quickly though. If if somebody wants to take a poinsettia and uh, and root it. Uh, and you said get some uh, cuttings from it. Is this the kind of plant that if you put it in a glass of water, it will it will uh, send out roots? Or uh, obviously you would do it right. You would put it in a soilless mix and probably some uh, right. root, rooting hormone uh, on it. But if somebody's lazy and they want to put it in a glass of water, will the roots happen? Possibly, it might just rot though in water. <laughs> okay, so do it right, folks. Don't 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 do it the lazy way, which is what I would do. Uh, do it the right way. Uh, so uh, you can just watch it which with mean, that slow death in the glass of water. Which means either go to Vern Goers and talk to Dan, or Google it <laughs> and find yes. out how to get it done right. All right, so that's Dan Costa, our uh, snipologist, on the show today. We will get to uh, the Prairie State Bonsai Society, uh, but uh, a couple of things we before we break um, and. Um, you you were telling me that uh, you see all kinds of different things in the season. What's happening in 2017? Uh, the viburnum leaf beetle has become very popular this year. Which a lot of people bringing in torn up leaves, uh, a bunch of uh, beetles, you know, things like that going on. Pictures of their plants. Uh, that's been probably the major one lately. Um, Earlier in the year, we had rose sawfly on the rose bushes. Mm-hmm. A lot of that going. Uh, let me uh, let me yeah. ex- let me explain uh, that the viburnum leaf beetle is 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 kind of a new uh, infestation, isn't it? Yeah, it uh, started a couple of years ago in in our area, uh, but this year it's really gotten popular. It's all over the place. Uh, and this is the from... only good thing about it, though, yeah. is I read a thing online about. Uh, they had huge infestations out in New York of this thing and really tried to control it. But uh, the last couple of years, it's been declining. So, um, Oh, good. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll hear it as well. I was just going to say that uh, the Morton Arboretum sent out this uh, alert. Uh, they do their, pest, their plant health care report, actually. Um, and it says... Uh, they have emerged, they're feeding on leaves, they're small, they're one-third of an inch and brown to golden brown. They're not easily noticed, but their feeding is. They will pick up where the larvae left off last mm-hmm. month, and the larvae did. So the not only the larvae, but the adults often uh, 
when the plant or, or a pest goes from the larval stage to the adult stage, its its feeding habits change, but not this one. No, no. Luckily, that spinosad is pretty good on them. That uh, uh, right, you know, and we're going to be talking about Captain Jacks. Right, Captain Jacks. Let's give a ding. Our Captain Jacks. That's yeah, his um... dead bug brew. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about spinosad in the second half of the show today when we're talking about uh, larvicides for mosquitoes. Uh, yeah. Because Clark uh, is a company that came up with uh, using spinosad and fig- figured out a way for it not to dissolve in water and be remain effective. Uh, so you've, had, you've seen uh, folks coming in with viburnum leaf beetles, so they just bring in their viburnums and say, hey, what's happened here? And have you found beetles on them? Uh, yeah, they bring it in, 16. hopefully, in a plastic Ziploc bag. And uh, I've seen, you know, that one guy said, oh, this is full of holes. I don't know what's doing it. I turned the bag over to the other side, and there was about six beetles running around in there. <laughs> oh, dear, which and he, which he so didn't see. Colored. They're perfectly colored for something that's turning uh, dying leaves. Ah. Where they're getting that brownish, goldish cast into the color of the leaves. Yeah. And they just match that perfect. Wow. And it's really a, a camouflaged insect. Okay, well. That one, go ahead. Sorry, quickly. That, that, that one is out there. Japanese beetles are coming to the end of their season, but they're still around. Yeah, let's talk about that, too, when we come back. We've got, uh, and if anybody's got a garden question here, yeah, 847-475-1590. That's Dan Costa uh, from Vern Goer's Greenhouse. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be right back. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. 
I could while away the hours Conferring with the flowers Consulting with the rain And my head I'd be scratching While my thoughts were busy hatching If I only had a brain This should be my theme song. Uh, Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, especially when I'm out in the garden. And I think of all the things that uh, go wrong and that can go wrong and that I wish I knew the answers to. But that's why I have smart guys like Dan Costa here uh, uh, on the program. And uh, we were just talking about the viburnum leaf beetle. And uh, you were talking about Japanese beetles, too. And now everybody, see, nobody knows what a viburnum leaf beetle is. Dan, but everybody knows what Japanese beetles are, even though they can't necessarily identify them. And it's kind of interesting because we were identifying, we went out to a friend's place uh, uh, in uh, Oregon, Illinois, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and there were Japanese beetles there. And, oh, yeah. and uh, they're, they're pretty much heading across the entire United yep. States. Uh, and you can tell them because they're little, uh, they look like they're maybe a quarter to half an inch beetles with this metallic green backs and they're kind of kind of easy to to spot uh have you seen yeah. a, have you seen a lot of damage this year uh quite a bit on roses again that's one of their favorites and again the hardy hibiscus a lot uh foliage of some things like raspberries and that they they seem to like those they've been on my potato but, leaves oh but potato uh, leaf uh i know on the tomatoes. potatoes Oh, on the potatoes. Yep. Okay. Yep. I have this little jar sitting there with lots of dead ones in them. Oh dear. Okay. Uh, it was, Take the it, lid off, pop it in, close it again. Ah, see, see, <laughs> Peggy's doing the right thing. You just flick them off into a jar and and put them on display, or uh, or crunch them under your foot. Uh, what do you tell people? I just, I just smash them between my fingers, really. Mm. Uh, yeah, but you're braver than a lot of people. <laughs> But uh, there's not really a lot you can do because you can spray for them. But once, you know, you'll kill whatever ones are there while you're spraying. And then the spray dries and new ones fly in because they can fly about a mile. Mm -hmm. And so then the infestation is right back again. Plus, a lot of the sprays that you would be using are also harmful to bees, and we don't want that happening. Right. And and I've heard entomologists tell me this before who say, why are you spraying Japanese beetles? Uh, They're... Their period of uh, their active period is is a matter of weeks. Then they'll be gone. Uh, yeah. And there are other ways to control them. One of the best ways, apparently, is to get them early. If they start showing up in your yard, you should you know you should monitor. And if you can get rid of the early ones, they mm-hmm. they send out chemical signals to their buddies to come and chow down. Uh, and if you can stop some of the early ones, that might help. Although a lot of people just get these terrible infestations and. Rather than kill other beetles and other pollinator and kill pollinators, um, you might as well just wait it out yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, it's and, better. And I, I've heard that those traps just attract more if you go with the pheromone traps. Yeah, you can put the, the traps up. Uh, they are effective. They do stink because you got a lot of rotting beetles in there. <laughs> but don't but, they uh, attract more? Well, they, they, well, they will they attract to the trap. Uh, it's a sex floor, actually, that they go to, and then they fall in. My theory on that is that while they're on their way to the trap, they're also eating your plants. So uh, I don't know that it's the greatest idea to attract them. <laughs> a lot a lot of folks say 
don't put the traps up in a small yard because you're just attracting the beetles to your yard, period. Yeah, you put them in your neighbor's yard. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Give that man a ding. Um, uh, but if you have a large yard, like we went out to see our friends uh, Polly and Vic, and they got several acres. And they took the traps and they put them in strategic locations on the property. I can see where that might work. And they, man, those traps were full of Japanese beetles. Holy yeah. smoke. They, they're just nutty. So, okay. Uh, so that I, I have to have you tell the story of the customer who came in, the story about the peppers. Oh, yes. <laughs> I get this one almost every year. Where somebody comes in about now, and they complain, and I bought peppers, and they're supposed to be red peppers, or the one this year was I bought red, yellow, and purple peppers, and the only peppers I'm getting are green ones, and I don't know if I got the wrong, if the plants were labeled wrong, or what's going on with them, but I'm only getting green peppers. And of course, I have to explain that green is the unripe color of them. (laughs) And if you let them sit for a little while, they will turn to red or yellow or whatever they're supposed to turn to because that's a ripe pepper. And people don't seem to understand that the green pepper they buy in the grocery store is just one that didn't ripen all the way. But that's that's a usual one. <laughs> Amazing uh, how that works. Yeah. Uh, what uh, other what other kinds of questions do you get uh, that uh, make you roll your eyes a little bit there, Dan? This one woman came in, and she has a five-foot-by-five-foot vegetable garden, if you can imagine that small. Okay. I can, actually. Each corner of it, she planted a pumpkin vine. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. (laughs) They are now, she claimed, 30 feet long. They're all over the lawn. They're all over the driveway. She wanted to know if she should put straw underneath the pumpkins so they, they don't get damaged, or should I put some kind of a a pillow type of a thing under them, or even a wooden pallet underneath the pumpkins. And I was just like, no, they can lay on the concrete driveway, they can lay on the grass, but you know, if you're going to grow pumpkins, you got to have a big area, <laughs> five foot by five foot, with also tomatoes, peppers, and herbs in uh, there. Somewhere in there. It doesn't work. <laughs> I, you know, it's, I, I and I didn't even plant pumpkins this year. I meant to, forgot, but I'm Kind of glad that I didn't because I've got no room for them. As it turns yeah. out, the tomatoes are all over the place. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, I've got cantaloupes that I planted. Now, Those are taking over. Uh, and I've discovered a cantaloupe, two cantaloupes Ooh. on my vine yesterday. Yay. Yay. One of them's pretty, pretty good size. Uh, good. And, yeah. And, and I don't even know. Are you uh, very familiar with cantaloupes, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, I have one vine that doesn't seem to have produced any at all, and the other has a couple now. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you, do they get to a certain point and they start to produce, or should they be doing it from the get-go? What's the story on that? Well, look and see if you're getting male or female flowers. Oh, I've been getting both. I've been getting both. Okay. So I've seen I've seen some of the little female flowers. Uh, uh, you know that start to produce the uh, the fruit, yeah. and some of them have aborted, and you and so I assume they weren't pollinated. Um, so um, yeah, it could be lack of pollination. It could also be a watering problem. This year, with all the rain we've been getting, rot has not been mm-hmm. uncommon. 
Well, we're we're kind of having issues with um, our tomatoes as well, and so is Peggy. Uh, and she's in Highland Park, and I'm in Chicago, and some of the same issues have occurred. And we're trying to to nail this down. We've had wilt on our tomatoes, and, starting from the bottom up. Uh, well, no, just on at least on mine on some branches. The yeah, bulk of the not, plant's fine. Right, not starting from the bottom up, just sort of in general. They they and it does it. There's not brown spots at all. It's just the leaf just goes limp. And if I really put a lot of water on, come back in three or four hours, plant looks great. Uh, and so obviously it's some sort of watering issue. But this has happened even yeah. a, even after these heavy rains. So we it's it's odd. And and some of the plants are affected, and some of the plants are not. And I and it's been very frustrating to try to figure out like your, your vernissage that uh, Peggy gave me, she gave me a, a tomato called Vernissage. That 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 sucker just has wilted like crazy. And, and my Vernissage are fine. So yep, I, my black pearl is wilting. Uh, and and the uh, the uh, new hybrid is wilting. So there you go. Yeah, you I got something <laughs> something going on in the roots. I, I think you have uh, uh, root loss. Probably from uh, all the water, you know, all the rain and everything. It's possible, yeah. but but the soil I'm in is good draining. We've got good sun. Uh, you know, I've wondered if we we we've actually had some. Um, uh, oh, what's the uh, the thing where you get the bottom of the uh, tomato? Verticillium. No, 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 no. Where the spot is on blossom the, rot. Uh, blossom end rot. Oh, blossom end yeah, rot. You yeah. know, and that's a watering issue. Usually not enough, uh, or in, or in. Incons- well, that's uneven watering. Uneven, right? And and I think that's been kind of the issue. And we've tried to be really good about doing it, but it's trying to get the watering even can be really tricky on a tomato yeah. plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Well, you've only got a few minutes here, so we we need to tr- make the transition to uh, your big uh, annual event coming up next weekend at the Morton Arboretum. Tell me about that, Dan. Yeah, it's next next week on Friday on uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh from ten to four both days. We are out at the Morton Arboretum in Lyle, uh in what's called the Sycamore Room, which is right at the visitor center. Uh it's part of the Destination Asia Festival out there that they have every year. So the, uh our bonsai show is part of that, but there'll also be Asian music, Asian food, sumo wrestling, uh, various things like that going mm-hmm. on out there. We will have a display of members' trees. So these are ones from everybody's own private collections. They're mm-hmm. only visible to the public on, at showtime. There will be demonstrations going on both days, so you can watch bonsai being created before your very eyes. Uh, there will be workshops, which you can sign up for through Morton Arboretum's website. And we will have vendors uh, selling materials as well. And it's real fun. You can go out there, walk through the uh, display area. you got questions or something. You can ask people from the club that are out there. Uh, you can talk to the vendors about the materials they're selling. And uh, hopefully get an interest in giving bonsai a try. Uh, what you'll see at our show is not the type that you see at Home Depot or <laughs> some of the... Uh, Big box stores, which is really not bonsai at all. Uh, you'll see the true art form of bonsai as it's supposed to be. And uh, many people have not seen that. They come and they look and they say, "Wow, I've never seen one that's this big or this yeah. tall or whatever." And and last but, uh, year I came out and 
you guys had a raffle, and I actually won. <laughs> and it wasn't yeah. rigged. It wasn't rigged or anything. And I got a bonsai, and Dan's been taking care of it for me for a year, and we need to do that exchange. Yes, it's currently sitting here on my kitchen table. Ah, <laughs> give it, give it a, 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 a spot where you can look after it, a, a prime spot there. So uh, I've, oh, got, yeah. I've got all the information on my website, MikeNovak.net. Uh, you can find uh, for this, or you can go to uh, prairiestatebonsai.com. You can go to the Morton Arboretum, look for uh, the Destination Asia Festival, and all the information's there. Well, Dan, get back to snipping. It was great to have you on the show once again. Of course, you and Peggy and Kathleen are invited to come out to the show if you can make it. We'll do what we can. Thanks Thanks a lot. Have a great Sunday. You too. Your family and pets spend a lot of time in public parks, schoolyards, and on your own lawn. And you want those grounds to be not only beautiful, but safe. Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston company with a decade of experience successfully creating beautiful lawns naturally. Logic works with homeowners on the North Shore and also with schools, park districts, and cities across Chicagoland to manage large turf areas naturally. Get a free estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Veggie Fest Chicago is back on August 12th and 13th. Be part of one of the largest vegetarian food and lifestyle festivals in North America. Veggies and omnivores alike will have a great time. There's a huge international food court, health professionals with advice for good living, food and cooking demos, a children's tent, live music with some of Chicago's best bands, more than 100 vendors, and it's free at Benedictine University, 5700 College Road in Lyle. Go to VeggieFestChicago.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Hey, man, who's that cat coming down the street? I don't know, but it sounds to me like that whipping man with the bone. Sure having himself a ball. Much love. Well, look what happened. Uh, Harlem Globetrotters have stopped by uh, on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Wow, everyone's coming by the studio (laughs) today. It's it's great. And they don't have donuts either. (laughs) Really? Well, then, in that case, music out. All right. And I was looking here on, uh, see, now I found it. All right. Is that, I don't know if that's the one. I'm, I'm, let's hope that's the right one because no, it's not. Come on. It was so easy to find yesterday. Peggy and I have been just amusing ourselves endlessly for the last couple of days. Alan, 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 Al, Alan, Alan, Alan. <laughs> Alan! 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 
Kornhuis. Ellen! 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 Okay. That's become the all-purpose phrase. Ellen! 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 <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you got to go to YouTube. And, you, and I bet most of you have seen this. It is this, I don't even know what animal this is. It's some sort of prairie pup or... It's either a marmot or a prairie dog or something. Or something like that. Something that lives in a hole out west. And and the B, and the BBC up. has got put words in its mouth and it's shouting, Alan, Alan. It's Ow. Al. Uh, we're easily amused. Alan! Ow! <laughs> Alan! 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 <laughs> okay. So yeah. when you find the Japanese beetle in your yard, just start saying, Alan! Alan! Exactly. Ah, uh, our friend uh, Kathleen Parrish wrote to us, and she wanted to ask about. Uh, oh, don't unplug that yet. Okay, we're going to be playing that again. Are you kidding me? Get this out of the way. I just want to keep your computer from falling off the desk. Yeah, I know. There's no no room for it here. Uh she's uh, wants to do overseeding for her lawn, and uh, it, you know this is really a good time to be thinking about it. Don't do it yet. You're, what is overseeding? Uh, basically, it's where you take the grass seed. Uh, and add it to a lawn that already exists. So you sprinkle it on in amongst, you know, you have really thin turf, and you get more grass seed, and you just throw it down. It wouldn't hurt. Uh, if you got compacted soil, I'm going to tell you, you should probably core aerate. And if you listen to our our uh, our commercials with our wonderful friends at Logic Lawn Care... They'll tell you this, too. Uh, if if you've got good drainage, then I would say add some compost, overseed on top of that. And then she wanted to know about watering. And the way it works for us, uh, see, there's, there's two different types of watering for lawns. When you're putting seed down on your lawn, you water frequently and lightly. Once it's established, you water deeply and infrequently. Uh, so if you've got seed on your lawn, you've got to keep it moist. And one of the ways you can do that, well, obviously you water it regularly if it dries out, but you can cover it with straw, which will help conserve Mm -hmm. some of the moisture there. And that, that's, that's a good way to do it. So you want to start doing this if you're overseeding for the fall, because fall is the best time to do lawn work is absolutely the best time. Why? Because we grow cool season grasses here in the Midwest. Uh, when you have Kentucky bluegrass and fescues and rye, those sorts of things, they're cool season grasses. And that means they perform well in the spring, they perform well in the fall. And if you get it going in, uh, you know, it's like a, a vegetable. If you it, it, Right now is a good time to be planting beets for the fall and, the, and lettuces. Uh, those uh, spinaches, cool season vegetables for snap the fall, peas. Be, snap peas, because they're going to they're going to germinate now when it's warm, and then when the weather starts to get cool, uh, they're going to be very happy. Uh, same thing with your lawn; they'll germinate now, they'll start to grow when the weather gets cool. They're going to perform well, and then they're going to send down roots, which are going to survive the winter. So when the spring comes, you will have a jump start on your lawn. If you do the seeding in the spring, when all the commercials tell you to. And makes me wonder about them. Uh, you know, it's a racket. Uh, what happens then is the, the cool weather. They love the cool weather, yeah. Although when it's really cool, it's kind of hard for them to germinate. A little harder. Um, 
but the the lawn germinates and then it hits the heat of the summer and those plants don't like the heat of the summer so you really got to coddle them to get them through the summer mm-hmm. you're really much better off starting it in the at the end of august you know there's a launch window like and it depends on the weather if we have weather like we have today at the uh, end of august go out there and do it if it's 90 95 wait until it cools off a little bit uh and 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 you know look at the forecast and see so w- when it germinates you want it to be going into cooler weather and then uh, just water it regularly as it's germinating when it germinates and then as the roots get uh larger you can water less frequently and more deeply. So I hope that helps, Kathleen. Have you got any other questions? Yeah, she says, I'm not quite understanding the question. Or, organic Bob and dig right in, aerate manually with spade shovel for troubled areas. Well, you can. Yeah, why not? All right, all right. Here's, <laughs> all right, all right. This is a good, these are good questions. Uh, if you've got the whole lawn you're going to do, you want to core aerate with the machine. Your whole lawn is compacted, and you want to make the soil looser. Get the machine. Get somebody to do it for you is what I recommend because those machines are really difficult to work. But if you got a small little patch, what I had a small, a couple of small little patches like in my, my yard. My little front yard. Yeah, which I've done in my yard. Just loosen the soil in that little patch. Uh, you can do it with a fork. You can mm-hmm. do it with a shovel. You can do it with a trowel. I mean, you can do it with anything. Loosen the soil, flatten it out, raking it out. Uh, I would say add a little bit of compost and then overseed that. Just you want to give the grass seed uh, loose soil to grow into. And I did it uh, actually in the spring because, and I wasn't too worried about it because it was nice and cool. Uh, and um, it was a small area. And I wasn't concerned about the heat of the summer, you know, consuming a whole lawn. And it worked out very well. I, I overseeded a couple of areas this year that look fabulous right now. Uh, and you could do it again starting. Mm-hmm. It, you could you could actually start now, I suppose. And, you know, and when things germinate. But, you know, traditionally the launch time is last couple of weeks in August into the first couple of weeks in September. That month is usually the best time to do overseeding for your lawn. But you, and, could, but and you can aerate it now. You could aerate it now. Yeah, you could even throw down the seed now and see what happens. But I would say if you're going to do it by the book, mm-hmm. you do it in a couple of weeks and keep an eye on the weather and see what's happening. So, Kathleen, I hope that helps. She's, <laughs> she's still writing to me. <laughs> we were also going to try to talk about I don't think we have any more time. We got like a minute here about. Um, well, we can talk about that after the break. We can about watering tomatoes what, what what was the question um i'm getting poor fruit set on tomatoes oh, this that's year right. so sarah 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 you're a, you're a, you're the master gardener coordinator or used to be uh, but you know see everybody has issues mm-hmm. we all have issues i'm telling you and i'm going out to my dead neighbor's yard and <laughs> and that vernissage plant is just dried up and i don't know why and there are other plants that look fine and You know, we need Casey Tomato on the job here. We got to get him on on the show. 
We got to get him on the show uh, to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm he, blaming chipmunks in my yard. Uh, I don't have that. I don't have deer. I don't have rabbits to blame. I got to find some. Maybe the rats. All right. <laughs> Stick around. No name news coming up, and then we'll be back. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt, before it goes from bad to feeling worse, I turn off my phone, I get down low, and put my hands in the dirt. I try to stop the the chipmunk holes. moving so fast. <laughs> Somebody has chipmunks, and some of us do not have chipmunks. I'll send them to your I, yard. I know, and I'm, I'm the. In some ways, I think I'm the wrong person to to talk about this stuff at all. Uh, over the years, people have come to me with their deer questions, mm-hmm. and their rabbit questions, and their mole questions, and their vole questions, and their chipmunk questions, and their raccoon questions, <laughs> their critter questions, and their. I've not had any of these, although I was driving home the other day and it was in my neighbor, somewhere in my neighborhood, just watched the raccoon lumber across <laughs> a Chicago street. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. Yep. Uh, but I have never had deer problems. And and it's it's and it's not because I'm special. It's because I live in the city. And and I don't know why there's no rabbits in my part of the city, which is strange because they're everywhere mm-hmm. in Chicago, except in Logan Square. So maybe there's an ordinance that keeps <laughs> keeps them out of Chicago, out of Logan Square. I don't know. Yeah, and with with all the plantings you have, even in your front yard, you've got a lot of places for these critters to hide. Uh, and they don't. And they're, I think they're terrified. They're afraid of me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's because I'm out there pruning all the time. I don't know. And I don't even get out there and prune that much. So if you hear, Alan! 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 Coming out of the shrubbery. Alan! All right. Uh, what? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, so we, we we got just a couple of minutes before we get into our Skeeter uh, conversation. And, and we had, uh, you got a phone call yesterday mm-hmm. from a listener. How did she get your number? I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I can think is... She has a copy of Natural Awakenings, uh-huh. and she saw the ad, and she looked at the number in the masthead, and that's my guess. And what is our listener's name? Lori. Lori, 
and she's on the south side. Hi, Lori. How you doing? Uh, first of all, rule of thumb: don't stalk uh, <laughs> Peggy. No, it's okay. You're <laughs> if you got the number, I guess you call. Hey. She wanted to know how uh, basically composting one hundred and one and. Have we done that this year? I thought I, I, don't I think meant so. I meant to, and now would not be a bad time because there's lots of stuff growing. You need to put it. It's you know what I'm always amazed at when I throw stuff in my compost pile, and I have one of those city issued Darth Vader helmet compost pile things, and it's not very big. It's mm-hmm. basically your minimum size compost pile, which is like three by three by three, uh, and that's sort of the basic size you need to get compost activated and decomposing and get the critters going and i'll put stuff in it and i'll fill it to the top and i'll go okay guess i'm done for a few weeks putting stuff in there and i'll come out in a few days and it will have sunk it just mm-hmm. and it's just the forces of nature are just amazing uh how they work and laurie basically you know and i was online here and i went to rodale they their 101 is just really simple it's really simple is spread a layer several inches thick of coarse dry brown stuff like straw or corn stalks or leaves i don't nobody has corn stalks okay not in the city not in the suburbs so i don't know why they even say that is they just assuming people have farms all right straw or leaves or that stuff top that with several inches of green stuff like lawn clippings or leaves that you've cut off from your plants in your yard Add a thin layer of soil. And why do you do that? You do that for the biology. Put some of that mm-hmm. biology. It's the biology. So don't take it out of a bag you got at the Home Depot because there's no biology in there. Take it out of the, your, mm-hmm. your own yard. Add a layer of brown stuff. Moisten the three layers. Add more green stuff. Add more brown stuff. So green add, stuff would be like vegetable Right. Like, like I and... said, the, the lawn and, and stuff like that. And you continue layering uh, until the pile is three feet high. Try to add stuff in a ratio of, oh, thank you for, for the ad that just came up here. God, I hate the Internet sometimes. <laughs> uh, and, and then the ad sits there until, and that's their new thing. It's like it's, not, it's bad enough that the ad pops up. The, the, they don't tell you where the click it off thing is. You've got to wait a little bit. There it goes. It finally showed up. Isn't that lovely? Anyway, they say uh, uh, you... you um, you pile it three feet high, add stuff in a ratio of three parts brown and one part green, uh, and uh, you're done. Now, the difference in the burbs and in the city, I mean, you can do that anywhere. If, and if, then you turn if, it if sometimes. You, you turn it to add oxygen because you need water in it, you need mm-hmm. oxygen. And in the city, you got to have it enclosed because you got critters are going to be in there in the suburbs. you got to look at your own municipality, see what their rules are about it because they get tense about it and you can buy these bins you can create them usually with mesh uh mm-hmm. i guess Lori asked if you could do it in a garbage can yeah i, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily because i don't think you're going to get enough oxygen in there although i suppose people do it she wanted to know if you can bury it in the ground yes people that do that they will dig a hole and they will put their vegetables in there and cover it and it will eventually decompose um it depends on how big a space you have mm-hmm. and how many holes you can dig and you know you, you most of us have a lot of plants, and if we try digging a yeah. hole, we're going to dig up a plant to do that. Um, there are various ways you can compost. Composting is a wonderful thing. Uh, and uh, and if you want more information, write to me, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. I'll send you information about it. But it's it's really good stuff. 
Just make sure you're paying attention to local ordinances and laws so you're not and, and you're not putting meats and dairy in there because you don't want critters coming mm-hmm. in and, and wreaking havoc. All right, we're talking mosquitoes and abatement next on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free of ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and other treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths, including the non-toxic Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Treatment. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st century hair care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll get a head start on season. Mike and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815 815- Four seven nine seven seven six five, or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. That's really old school, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You, you, you get, I don't mean the music. Yeah, the, the old-fashioned bug light. I mean the bug light. The old purple bug light, <laughs> which is, is kind of creepy, actually, if yeah. you ask me. And then you've got this, all these bugs at the, on the floor uh, Just ben- beneath the light. Yeah, yeah. flopping around. <laughs> which takes us into our conversation. Let's uh, go to the uh, phones and bring in Ruth Kersey, the executive director of the Midwest Pesticide Action Center. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. Uh, great to have you back on the show. And Laura McGowan, uh, who's good national. Good morning. Hi, Laura. How are morning, you? Laura. Good morning. Uh, and Laura is the spokesperson for Clark. The you might have heard of them. They uh, they are the uh, mosquito experts. They know all about it, and they do uh, solutions uh, and abatement products. Uh, and they work with communities, uh, a lot of communities in the Chicago area nationwide, 
and what we just found out, almost four dozen countries around the world. Wow. Yes, we've been able to make some serious inroads in helping people fight mosquito-borne disease internationally. Uh, and so let me let me direct this back to the, the music we played uh, to, to bring us into this segment uh, about bug lights. That used to be the uh, technology or part of the technology <laughs> that people use. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and the question, and it, it didn't even occur to me until Peggy said, hey, I've got this song. You got we got to play this. I hadn't thought about bug lights in years. Um is that an effective way to control mosquitoes? I, and I think I already know the answer to this, but I thought, <laughs> I thought Laura, I would ask the professional about it. Sure. We'll start it off with a softball. No, that is not a really good way to kill mosquitoes. Okay. Uh, anytime you're attracting more mosquitoes to where you're enjoying the outdoors is generally a bad idea. I know a couple of years ago there were a lot of introductions of um, magnet-type devices that would mm-hmm. um, work on people's um, patios or, or lawns or things like that. And, again, anytime you're attracting more mosquitoes to your area, sure, it's going to kill some of them, but you're also going to have a lot of survivors who are probably pretty irritated. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's very interesting because it's the same theory that we talked about in the first hour with Japanese beetles and the traps that the pheromone traps that people put out in their yards, and they do it to capture Japanese beetles. But guess what those traps do? They attract Japanese beetles. <laughs> Seems contrary. Doesn't <laughs> it? Wanna, yeah, it is contrary. But sometimes traps do work where you, if you already have a problem and you're trying to, uh, so for example, in a kitchen uh, where you're preparing food, some traps do work when insects come in where they provide a larger attractant than the other things where you don't want mm-hmm. them to go. So they're not always there. <laughs> Yeah, like my fruit fly traps. Those. Uh, right, well, exactly. well, uh, yeah, Ruth, uh, Kersey, uh, what traps were you thinking of in particular? Well, just like somebody said, fruit fly traps. So in the summer, often people have fruit flies around their in their kitchens, and you can put a simple uh, trap with vinegar uh, and, uh, and plastic wrap over a small jar or, or cup, and you can attract your... Um, your uh, fruit flies into that trap, and it works very well. Uh, and then, of course, you want to store your fruit, fruit a little bit better. Yeah. You're not attracting the fruit flies, but that can work once you've uh, you know cleared away the fruit and you put that trap out. You can catch a whole lot of stuff. Well, I find that uh, a, a half a glass of Merlot works particularly <laughs> well. That works, too. Yep. Once it turns they get to it before you do. <laughs> Uh, and while we've got Ruth Kersey uh, talking, uh, tell us a little bit about the Midwest Pesticide Action Center. Sure. We are an organization that works regionally here, mostly in Illinois, but Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And we're dedicated to reducing the health risks and environmental impacts of pesticides by promoting safer alternatives. Um, and we've been around a pretty good long time, about 24 years now, or we might be moving into our 25th year. Um, and we've been, we do lots of work. Uh, mosquitoes is only one of the areas that we work in. So um, we also do a lot of work with uh, pest control indoors, for example, child cares and, uh, and schools, public housing, and, and places like that as well. Sure. And another big, big effort of ours is to promote natural lawn care these days. Yeah. Well, and I and, and, uh, <laughs> should have a little chat with you about that. Of course, I've got uh, one of the sponsors of my show. I'm very pleased to have is logic lawn care and uh i think you've worked with that but they do things oh, yeah. they do mm-hmm. things naturally and 
Uh, they're they're terrific people, and uh, and that's what we always promote because I. I don't want people throwing chemicals on their lawns. It's just, it's just dumb. It's just as dumb an idea as you can ever come up with. Um, right, and I, I just want to point out one more thing, and that is that pesticides are used to kill mosquitoes, definitely, but we use them ubiquitously in our society, and that is really the concern of our organization, is really getting people to understand it's not just looking at one individual use of pesticides, but really looking at the overall exposure that we all have to pesticides sort of continuously in our environments and trying to reduce those exposures. So to us as an organization, that's really the most important message. And I think that's, that is really important. I'm glad you said that. And and I don't think I say it often enough. Uh, there are folks who say, tell me that, yeah, you don't uh, advocate use of any chemicals. And I say, no, that's not exactly true. Uh, I advocate the, advocate the use of them uh under the right circumstances in a controlled situation uh, and properly after identifying what the problem is and how to fix it. And that's where people like Clark uh, come in to the picture. Uh, I, I agree with you, Ruth. I think the problem is, is usually is when the homeowner gets involved. And part of that problem is the brainwashing that happens on television. And I, and, I, and I talk about this constantly because I think we need to be aware that we are being brainwashed, that, that people are trying to sell product. And they tell you that, hey, you got a pest problem? Grab this thing on the shelf and just have at it. Well, most people don't know what the problem is. They can't identify a beetle from a tick. And, right. uh, and they do they don't know if it's a uh, an insect problem or a disease problem or something else, and they're getting this spray out, and they're using it without even reading the label directions. And that really makes me scream because if we're not doing that, we're, we're just being irresponsible as citizens right. and, and as consumers. And that's the thing that irritates me about the brainwashing and the constant bombardment on, on television and radio mm-hmm. by these companies, they don't understand that they're, the consumers out there are just going to buy the stuff and use it willy-nilly. Uh, that is the thing that makes me crazy. Huge concern. Yeah. Huge concern. Well, it's that, it, pest it, control is a process, not a product. That's a really important thing for people to understand. It's really not about the product. It really is about a, an overall process. You've been reading my notes, haven't you, Ruth? Because I, I, I guess I have, or you've been reading mine. Yeah, it's possible. Sure. I say that all the time. I prefer process over product every single time. So, okay, so that ends all the softball part of the program. Here we go. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk a little bit about mosquito abatement. We uh, have had a ton of rain here in the Chicago area. Um, and it gets complex because we have these things called mosquito abatement districts. And there are 21 of them. 21 of them in Illinois. That, in Illinois, most of them in the Chicago area. Uh, they involve different communities. And they, uh, let's start with you, Laura. You work with a lot of these districts. What's the process for them coming to you? Uh, or uh, getting your products or getting your personnel to work with them? How, how does that work? Well, we have two ways that we typically work with communities. Um, <clears throat> we either work with them as consultants where we show and train their staff how to apply products appropriately. Um, I, I'm also totally on board with uh, what Ruth is saying about knowing when to apply, how to apply, and how to apply correctly. 
Um, it, or we actually provide services, which means that we have a trained uh, fleet of people that can go out and do these applications as needed. And when I talk about uh, applications, it's not just larviciding and adulticiding, which are taking care of mosquitoes in the larval mm -hmm. stage and taking care of mosquitoes in the adult stage. But we actually have a, a much richer program, which looks at things like source reduction. We do mapping so we can see where the standing water is in communities. Very often early in the season, we'll take a helicopter up in an area and see, you know, oh, there's a low port point in the area that's holding standing water in the spring. That becomes an area of concern for us because, as you know, mosquitoes have, can have a, you know, two-mile flight range. Um, so when we work with a community, it's very specific to those community needs. You know, we have some uh, areas that are bordered by forest reserves. We have other areas that are very urban, but yet they have cemeteries in the area where we saw that back in 2002, where uh, flower vases in cemeteries were breeding West Nile mosquitoes. Well, who would have thought that something very landlocked would have that much standing water and enough to breed mosquitoes? Mm. So each community is very customized. And so we'll go into the community, identify what kinds of mosquitoes they have present, um, where their uh, issues are in terms of where they're breeding mosquitoes, and then depending on what the community needs, some places we, we do purely a larval siting program, some places we have the full integrated pest management, and um, we help them evaluate where to set traps to do the research needed to trigger any kind of adult control, and um, really work with them to help educate the community, because I think that's also a really important mm -hmm. part of this process is Backyards are a big source of mosquitoes, and if we don't teach people how to get rid of standing water to drain their bird baths and their baby pools and things like that, we're consistently going to have issues. So in the but, area of yeah. private property, if there is something, I'm thinking of there's a spot that I pass almost every day, and I should have taken a photo today and I didn't. Mm. It is a piece of private property really close to the north branch of the Skokie River that still has standing water from the flooding. It's still there. Nobody's hooked up uh, a drain, a pump, or anything. Do you guys exactly. have, how, how does that get handled? Is that totally up well, to the homeowner, or do you guys get involved? It depends on the municipality, again, and that's where um, different situations. I was down in Miami last year uh, during the Zika outbreak, and they were allowed, based on municipal permissions, they were allowed to uh, larvicide in front yards and do source reductions in front yards but needed homeowners' permission to go into the backyard. Mm -hmm. So there's always different, but that was also under a, a declared state of emergency as well. So there's different restrictions that apply based on whatever the municipality has as their um, codes for enforcement. Um, and typically that would come out out of either the, the city departments, sometimes it's streets and sanitation. Different areas will have different parts of responsibility if it's code enforcement or things like that. But the first step, if, if someone has an issue in their community, is to call their city hall and okay. talk to their city manager about who the right person would be. Uh, Ruth, I heard you You wanted to jump in there. Oh, I was just going to say that standing water in particular, you know, just because there is some standing water, it does take time for mosquitoes to breed and also become full adult mosquitoes where they're, uh, they could be a vector uh, hazard. Um, so just seeing some standing water for a certain period of time does not necessarily mean uh, that there's going to be, a, you know, a huge influx of mosquitoes right away. Um, but, yes, I agree with Clark that it is a, a bunch of different ways mm -hmm. that that can be addressed, but calling your uh, local 
folks is the, the best way to handle it. Uh, and and, so and you bring up a, another really, really good point, which is you have to know the life cycle of the mm-hmm. insect. Mm-hmm. How does it work? And this is the same thing when you're when you're growing vegetables and when you're working on your lawn. Got to know how the uh, the uh, the insect reproduces and where under what circumstances. And, well, and, uh, let, and let me just bring up just real quickly that floodwater mosquitoes are really unique in the fact that um, floodwater mosquitoes lay their eggs up high on, on vegetation or things like that. And so it can be, you know, these 100-year floods that we seem to be getting every three years um, that can hatch those off. But those eggs could have been laid three, four, seven, ten years ago. So when you have a big floodwater hatch off, you're hatching eggs that have already been laid and have just been laying dormant until water finally reaches them. And the mosquitoes then in standing water, those typically are things like Culex mosquitoes. They'll lay their eggs every five to seven days. I'm sorry, they'll lay their eggs about 200 at a time, and they hatch off every five to seven days. Mm. So you've got a pretty aggressive cycle of development. Uh, We also want to point out, I just want to make sure that I get this in there, because (laughs) just because you have a mosquito does not mean you have a vector. So. There are very, a very small percentage of mosquitoes are often infected with the virus that they can uh, vector towards people. So most of the issues with mosquitoes that people really focus on is um, nuisance mosquitoes, meaning they just don't like to be bitten by mosquitoes. But right. very small percentages, uh, or in some cases, zero of those mosquitoes will actually have a disease that would be vectored or potentially be vectored to humans. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point, too. There are more than 60 mosquito species in Illinois alone, but only four of them will actually bite you. And of that four, only one of those species will transmit West Nile virus mm-hmm. or Zika. And of that, it's a small percentage. And as we know, uh, most people, 70% or more, who get the Zika, uh, get uh, 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 the Zika virus uh, show no symptoms, uh, you know, and it goes on and on and on. It's really a small number that are seriously affected by it, which brings us to the idea of um, why we're going after these mosquitoes and when. Um, and we've got a minute left here, and we're going to take a short break and come back and talk about that question because there are folks who question the efficacy of spraying and i want to talk uh, a little bit uh with laura mcgowan from clark and ruth kersey from the midwest pest and uh, pesticide action center about when you do this you talked a little bit laura about the uh, larvicides and adulticides the difference between them it makes me wonder mm-hmm. is there an eggicide uh, apparently there <laughs> there isn't at the moment there maybe there should be uh it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki your phone calls are welcome also If uh, you're affected by this, 847-475-1590-847-475-1590. We will be right back and talk more about mosquito abatement. Did you know a typical carrot travels 1,838 miles to reach your dinner table? That's not a sustainable distance, and it's a great reason to consider eating more locally. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Reducing your food miles is one way to lower your carbon footprint and eat more sustainably, which is healthier for the planet and probably for you too. So go to your local farmer's market and get to know your farmers. Consider joining a CSA. 
community-supported agriculture and get fruits and vegetables fresh from the farm directly. It's also a great way to stimulate local economy. Find a farmer's market or CSA near you by going to localharvest.org. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Veggie Fest Chicago is back on August 12th and 13th. Be part of one of the largest vegetarian food and lifestyle festivals in North America. Veggies and omnivores alike will have a great time. There's a huge international food court, health professionals with advice for good living, food and cooking demos, a children's tent, live music with some of Chicago's best bands, more than 100 vendors, and it's free. It's at Benedictine University, 5700 College Road in Lyle. Go to VeggieFestChicago.org. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are talking mosquito abatement. <laughs> Always a fascinating subject. <laughs> and if uh, folks want to get in on the conversation, 847-475-1590. Laura McGowan from Clark is on the phone with Ruth Kersey, Executive Director of the Midwest Pesticide Action Center. I, I want to get into that, uh, the, what I teased before we went to the break, and that is uh, the idea of spraying, I think that's that's probably the most controversial. Nobody cares if you're throwing a larvicide uh, into a pool of water because it does its work quietly, behind, kind of behind the mm-hmm. scenes. Uh, Nobody feels the effects of that or sees the effects of that. But when you start to spray, that's when folks get involved. And uh, I, I, this is not adversarial, but I'm, I, I want to put Ruth, I want Ruth to, to talk about the issues with that. And then, Laura, have you respond, okay, uh, know, sure. knowing that you guys work together sometimes. So, uh, Ruth, what are the issues you have with fogging? Well, there are a couple of them, and, and the biggest one, I think, for us as an organization is that it's the least effective and most toxic way of dealing with uh, with um, mosquitoes, and we would like to reverse that. We really like the idea of using the least ta- toxic, most effective methods. Um, we know that larvicides are, both of those, the most effective and the least toxic. Um, most of the public doesn't really understand that that's happening. It's sort of invisible, and they don't know what's going on, and so they often will demand fogging because they can see that. They get sometimes notification or they can see it happening. Uh, They know it's happening and sometimes they feel that's the only type of uh, control that's happening. Um, The other issues, of course, which we've heard a lot about in the news, is the impacts on pollinators, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, often don't work. Um, We also have very little evidence at all that uh, that, um, fogging actually works. There are very, very few studies that really show uh, discreetly and concretely that fogging actually has uh, strong impacts on um, mosquito pop- adult mosquito populations. Because remember, you're trying to hit a very small insect that hides under leaf, um, the leaves of, of trees and stuff during uh, most of the day, uh, very specific times. They often come out in the mornings and the evenings. Um, and so they're very, and often you're doing the fogging um, in urban areas where there's a lot of obstructions like fences and vegetation and 
kids' toys and all that other stuff. So it ends up being very, very ineffective. So just right there, um, we have problems with it, and it's expensive to do. Um, and then the other problem uh, with fogging, of course, is that you're broadcasting all of these pesticides, which are classified as poisons because that's what they are, um, everywhere. So when they fog, those pesticides fall on virtually every horizontal surface uh, that they touch. And then when we all come out, you know, the next morning or whatever, or if you're actually sitting in your yard at the time that they're fogging, um, you can be exposed to those. And so do, so are the pollinators as well. And, and I know that um, Ms. McGowan will talk about how they time it very specifically and that the breakdown is very quick, et cetera. But all of those have caveats to them, meaning that that, those, that evidence is true under certain circumstances. Um, but the reality is we all do get exposed to those pesticides, and there's very little um, understanding of exactly what the impacts of those are, and we definitely know that they're not very effective uh, at controlling mosquitoes. Okay, I turn it over to Laura. <laughs> Counterpoint, yes. And in um, that corner. <laughs> well, and I, I think that there are some things that I can, I can illustrate. For example, I, I know that Ruth mentioned the bees. So, first of all, bees go to the hive generally in the evening time, and most adult deciding operations will happen after dusk, and that's by design. And, and being able to come into contact with a mosquito is just as important as to come into contact with a pollinator, and if the pollinators are in the hive, they're not being exposed to the product, which does indeed break down very quickly. Um, there's actually a study that was published a few months ago um, by Louisiana State University that was uh, from a grant from the EPA in 2013. That is some of the first research we so showed that um, EBs were not affected by a variety of different mosquito adulticides um, in cage trials. And, you know, there's, there's a big difference between what we see in the lab and what we see in cage trials. Um, you know, whether it's uh, toxicity or, or efficacy and things like that. So I, I really feel that um, when we can take a look at the science that backs this up, that is where it's most important. Um, in terms of right. efficacy, and there's very little you know, science, unfortunately, to back that up. Well, but that's, it's growing every day. And, and that's what, the, but the growing science, the body of evidence is showing that it does work in terms of suppressing populations. We are never going to eradicate mosquitoes. And that's okay. We don't want to. What we need to do is be able to get them to a population level where they don't affect quality of life. And in cases of disease transmission, they're not actively transmitting to humans. And if we can, in these kind of situations, right now, around the um, Desplaines River areas where we have traps, that we are seeing trap counts between three and ten times the level that's normally considered a quality of life issue. So, you know, being able to, to reduce that population, even incrementally, has a tremendous amount of relief for people. Um, when I was down in Texas in 2012 during their West Nile outbreak, their CAGE trial showed 100% of efficacy. Now, I'm not saying that that happens all the time. We, we know that it's not 100% efficacy for the fogging? Is that what you're in saying? In CAGE trials in West Nile, uh, based on the Department of Health down in Texas. Okay, uh, 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 explain what a CAGE yeah. trial is, Laura. Sure. A CAGE trial is where you actually set up a, a mosquito cage outside where an application of adult deciding is taking place. And when you have the, the trucks go by or the aerial application happening, you then count the bodies and see how, how many of them are actually still moving or who have actually perished and that's, in the application. that's the way many pesticides are, are um, tested, actually, where they basically take the bug and they put it in a corral, and then they apply the pesticides and they see if it works. And that's not real-world uh, data. 
Well, yeah, well, it's not how how insects and uh, other bugs uh, behave in in the wild. They they're not right. they're not they're in cages. They're hiding under. They're things. hiding. Right. Exactly. They are, and we've actually innovated some new products that help help get around. Uh, it's a workaround, really. There are some products that actually include what we call a benign agitator, which gets the that kind of flushes the mosquito out from under their hiding area. And increases the number that become available for the spray. Do you have any? Um, uh, I just have to interject, Laura. Do you have any idea how? Um, oh, I had the, I had the perfect word for it, but uh, 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 how sinister that sounds! Benign, <laughs> benign agitator. Okay. Doesn't benign make it better? Come no, on. it doesn't. It's, it's, and, it sounds like marketing to me. And, uh, you know. But, and my question on that benign agitator too: Doesn't it agitate out other insects? It's not been shown to do that, actually. We've been testing it. Of course, every product that gets registered by the EPA for this use does a whole gamut of non-target testing. And we've not seen any indication that there's any non-targets that are affected that way. Okay. So they, it just... We just want to, again, make sure that we put the point out there that there are lots of resources to control mosquitoes, many of which have to do with reducing standing water in general, which has definitely been shown to be hugely effective reduce the populations of mosquitoes and larviciding, many of which are much less toxic and much more likely, less likely to get in contact with humans or pets or other uh, pollinators, although that, that pollinators may not be, that may, may be a small pea with them not, not being affected, but, um, but they are being used and being used very effectively. So the point here is not really to parse out how we make fogging more effective. What the real point needs to be is that we need to use the things that we know are very effective, and we need to use them really, really well so that fogging is only used as an absolute last resort. Well, and I think that uh, to some degree I agree with you that larviciding does do a lot of the heavy lifting in mosquito control. However, if you've got mosquitoes on the wing, you can throw as much larvicide as you want at them, and it's not going to do a thing. Mm -hmm. um, once we have populations that have emerged, and, and one of the challenges that we have is, is I'll use another example from uh, down in Miami, you had mosquitoes that could breed in water that was as small as a bottle cap. Um, it's very difficult to reduce all sources when you have that kind of mosquito for the um, 80s uh, mosquitoes. And so, you know, mosquito, we have to have all the tools in the toolbox. If you told a doctor they could only use one kind of medicine to treat every infection, that wouldn't be reasonable. So we want to make sure that there's different um, chemicals and active ingredients that are effective, that can be used. Because even though right now we're talking about nuisance mosquitoes or quality of life mosquitoes, we, there were a lot of areas down in the south that were kind of scrambling to come up with a mosquito control program that would be effective once they did have something like Zika emerge, which came with very little notification to the U.S. Yeah, and and, and, still and there's no there's no um, you know uh, domestically born infections that have been. Uh, well, Z yeah, Z Zika, the, the, the whole Zika thing, uh, it blew up very quickly. I, and, and one of the things I was telling, uh, I believe, Laura, when I talked the other day, maybe it was you, Ruth, I don't know, uh, I, uh, I give platelets uh, occasionally. And last year they were asking you, in a couple, for a couple mm -hmm. of years, they were asking you if you had been exposed to the Zika virus, and then they stopped. Uh, and it's not as if the Zika has stopped affecting people, but our reaction to it has been different. Um, and uh, what what is that situation with Zika? Well, and I think that's a great example, and it was me you were talking to, okay. of how <laughs> as we learn more about something, we're able to better address it. 
And so in the early stages of Zika, where we didn't know exactly which mosquitoes were transmitting, I mean, at that point in time, we thought it was potentially Aedes, um, Aedes uh, gypti and Aedes albopictus. You know, Aedes albopictus would have, in, would have broadened the geography of risk of Zika tremendously. But we saw the most active transition with Aedes aegypti. Um, as we found out more about how it was transmitted, where it was transmitted, what, what temperature and environment was required. You know, the fact that we identified bromeliads as one of the big challenges because they hold standing water long enough for mosquitoes to breed. And if you think about the layers of bromeliad, that's how little water they needed to be able to breed mosquitoes. So, again, as, as we learn more about it, there were some people thinking that Zika would be um, more endemic, like West Nile is, but we're very fortunate so far that it appears that it has kind of uh, burned through and hopefully will be in very rare form for the next few years. Right, and that is very important information to get out there, both about West Nile virus and Zika and other, other diseases uh, that are borne by mosquitoes, is that we are going to see more pressure because global warming mm -hmm. is moving yeah. their ranges yeah. farther north. So that, that is a big deal. But what we want to make sure... And I don't want to take any toolboxes out of our tool toolbox, any tools out of our toolbox either. But the point is that um, that these we want to make sure that we're again fighting them in, in a very effective way, way, but not causing panic in people. All right, because let me let me inter can I keep you guys on for for just one more uh, segment here? This is I still have more questions. And we've got a caller. Do you got and we got a caller. Sure. You guys aren't off to okay. church or anything, are you? <laughs> okay. Not yet. All right, we'll be right back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Is this the year you finally get your lawn off drugs? But why stop there? Why not work with your city, your park district, and your local schools to create a neighborhood of lawns that are beautiful and safe? Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston-based company with a decade of experience managing large turf areas naturally. They'd be happy to sit down with you, your local school, or city to answer any questions and to give you a free lawn care estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. We're coming into the home stretch on a Sunday morning. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, I held our guests over for another segment, and I'm so glad they can stay uh, because uh, it just... You can never have enough mosquito talk. So welcome to mosquitoes. Yes, we're swatting in the studio. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Laura McGowan from Clark. They're uh, 
Uh, you might have known him in the past as Clark Mosquito. They prefer to be called Clark, just Clark, uh, C-L-A-R-K-E. And uh, I've got the link on my website, MikeNovak.net. And I also have R- Ruth Kersey, Executive Director of the Midwest Pesticide Action Center. And that link is there, too. Uh, we've been talking about the efficacy of various programs to control mosquitoes. I have still so many questions. I want to I want to we got We got a call from listener Tim. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, uh, I wanted to go. We were talking about, as I said, the efficacy of, of spraying. When I had Ruth on my program four years ago and we had the city of Chicago on with us, they were using a product called Zenovex. Now I see, and, and you and I have talked, Laura, you're using Prelurthin. How do you pronounce it? We use products that include Duet, which is a combination of Prelurthin and Sumethrin. And we also use Maris, which is an OMRI-listed adulticide, which means it can be used in around organic gardens. Right, and that's the other thing I, I, I was... That's the benign is, agitator. Is, is the uh, Zenovex no longer used? Have we moved on to other products? That's not our product. Um, okay. That is right. actually a different company that does those applications. Um, right. We have a, a number of products that we have uh, identified that we use typically in our service project products and programs. Um, and, and I just want to make a note that, you know, our, our goal is to move things towards products that are less environmentally impactful that have a smaller footprint. In fact, we are probably one of the few companies that in the recent years has actually sunset a product. Um, it was called Temafos, and it was a product that we sunsetted about two years ago, you know, amid complaints. But once we had additional tools in the toolbox, as we talked about, we take a look and hopefully are moving the industry forward so that they're moving down the spectrum towards more environmentally friendly products. Uh, and, right, and you, it's important to point out that a lot of products, as they are used, you know, we really don't know the impact of a lot of these products until they're used for a full lifetime of a human, right? Because you really don't know the effects until we get old and all of those exposures. So mm-hmm. a lot of things get taken off the market or reformulated or whatever because they're put out there. We're told that they're fine and they're safe, and then they are pulled off the market, mm-hmm. and we move to, quote, unquote, safer products. Uh, which again have very they don't have a lot of um, science to back up the claims that they are actually um, safer for us, uh, and so that's why companies like Clark and others have to continually be reassessing their their stuff because the science before they get to use that out in the in the real world is not finalized. Uh, it's a learning process as we are exposed to these things um, as to whether they're going to impact us negatively or you not. You know so, it's. And and of course, in the old days, we used DDT, and right. and I actually I had a scientist, and this is kind of controversial, but I'm going to get it out here anyway. Mm-hmm. I had a scientist, a very renowned scientist, and I'm not going to mention the person's name, uh, who said to me at a conference once, uh, off the record, this person said that we stopped using DDT not because it was killing eagles. But because it stopped working, that that is true to a degree. Uh, do you have a comment on that, Laura? Well, and resistance is an issue that we always work with. Um, mosquitoes do have; they're tremendously adaptive. They can adapt to new environments. They can adapt to products, and that's mm-hmm. another reason why it's important to have a lot of different tools in the toolbox. Because a lot of times you have to rotate between products to prevent that kind of resistance. The last thing we want to do is put something out there that is not going to be effective against reducing mosquito populations. But I have heard in some communities that when you factor in the fact that we 
for many years in the 90s and 2000s, we were losing a million people a year to things like malaria. Being able to do something with a, a, a effective pesticide would have been very helpful in saving lives. Yeah, and and that gets us to to the point of the why we use it and whether it's necessary uh, in our area. And and you can't something you uh, methods you use in Illinois are not the same methods you're going to use in Florida or Louisiana or Belize uh, or or something someplace else. It we we talk about uh hey ben, ben? and uh and um uh the the issue can be I mean, you look at the the number of people affected with west nile virus the numbers are really small when you look at the population of the united states and you you look at the nationwide with th- uh 320 million people and uh and the number, I don't know what the number of deaths or even the number of infections were last year. I do. Okay, what were they? Well, I don't know. Well, last year I can look that up quickly. But um, from 1999 to 2015, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, reported that there has been about 2,000 deaths in the United States. And um, just to put it in contrast, uh, there are 57,000 deaths from the flu or pneumonia every year in right. the United States. And that's so we're talking I, yeah, really tiny numbers. You're making my my point for me, mm-hmm. which is I it it may be the the uh the the medicine is worse than the cure. I mean I mean sorry, the cure is worth worse than the the problem. I and and I'm 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 being really inarticulate and I sorry about that. <laughs> but, but, well, it's to some degree it can be a chicken and the egg. When you have established programs that are scientifically based that are triggered when you have populations that have disease and things like that, you are going to be able to reduce the number of of impacts that we have. One of the biggest challenges is mosquito control faces is that its success can sometimes be its own biggest detriment because if you're successful in keeping the number of West Nile cases down, people are thinking, well, there's not really a problem with West Nile. And mm-hmm. the other challenge with right. West Nile there is are that... Very... The... Go ahead. I was going to say, the other challenge with West Nile is those mosquitoes tend to bite when, when nuisance mosquitoes aren't biting. You know, everything is weather-dependent with mosquitoes. And West Nile, West Nile tends to escalate when it is hot and dry because uh, water sources dry up, and so it, the virus can amplify in populations. So when you're not out in your backyard swatting every, sec- every 60 seconds, but you get that one sneaky mosquito that comes out, that's more likely to be a mosquito that is potentially infected with West Nile. Right. And that's a little bit of fear-mongering, once again. That, uh, my fear with mosquitoes is there is a lot of fear-mongering that goes on out there uh, about the diseases um, at its height. In Illinois, for example, there were 2,000 cases, and that was back in 2002 mm-hmm. or so, uh, 2,000 cases of neuroinvasive uh, West Nile disease. Um, and now it's, it's much reduced. Why? Because we got on top of it. And, yes, there was a lot of work done, mostly larviciding uh, and, and removing uh, the sources, getting rid of all those tire piles that had been out there. All of those things were very effective against reducing the number of mosquitoes out there. And what I really dislike is fear-mongering when there really has been zero cases of domestic Zika virus uh, reported in the United States and very low numbers of West Nile virus. And yet people do feel that they have to have this fogging to prevent themselves and their children or their, um, the elderly, which are the most affected uh, by these, um, by these uh, diseases. 
uh, from getting infected, and that's just really not the case. All right, we, we've got very little time left. Uh, Bob uh, in Ottawa asked a real quick question. Do backyard foggers work at all? Anybody want to jump in? Well, well again, terrible. it's what we sort of talked about a little bit of how when you have a homeowner that's using a fogger, and most of those foggers are typically set on timers. There's no science behind them. They're just, oh, it's yeah. 7 o'clock, let's, let's fog the area. Uh, they're not great. Uh, strategies for preventing mosquitoes. Um, And I would put a little plug in there for Clark and say that I would much prefer that Clark was doing my mosquito control than most of the folks that are installing those mosquito misters. They are very dangerous. (laughs) Wow. Um, Your neighbors are going to be affected. Uh, They're not directed. And and I appreciate the the, the kumbaya moment with Clark and uh, Midwest Pesticide Action Center. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're completely out of time. We're going to continue this someday. Until next week, Peggy, go green or go home. Uh, What? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.